The reading today is taken from Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. The parable of the great dinner. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I was saying for the 9am service, there, um, there are certain passages in Scripture that you want tattooed on your arm or printed across your hoodie, or maybe on a bumper sticker. I don't think this is one of them. <laughs> but it reminded me how when Jesus spoke, when he taught, it wasn't always comfortable. It wasn't always pleasant or nice. But my gosh, was it good. Yeah. So, Father, as we explore your word May who you are be continued to reveal, be revealed amongst us. May your glory be plain to see. May you lead us in your ways. And as I speak generally, would you be speaking specifically to each of us? Amen. Amen. So in case we haven't met before, uh, my name is Paddy. I'm one of the clergy here. I'm the curate who... According to the notices this morning, I'm your man for everything. But I assure you, it's not usually the case. Like I said, it's, um, it's one of those passages which kind of makes you think twice about saying thanks be to God in our liturgy. 
But please don't hear this as this is um, behavior modification. It's like we just had our vision night a few weeks ago. We've once again reminded you of our vision to see kingdom come, and now we need to pull our socks up. We need to be more committed. We need better attendance. This isn't the purpose, but rather just like the way Paul writes to his churches and he talks of this jealousy he has for them. This is the same thing that, that we as church leaders, church wardens, PCC, we have for us all. We're jealous that you all would take hold of this true life that God has for us. Or as James puts it, like, take hold of the good stuff, what is found in Jesus. Right? So this isn't behavior modification. And although I think there's definitely... Inherently, you cannot help but be convicted by Jesus' teaching. But ultimately, conviction, it, it draws you higher. And it says, like, come up here to the heights. As opposed to condemnation, which says, like, you know what? You're a failure. That's who you are. It defines you. So please, this isn't supposed to be condemnation. Paul reminds us there's no condemnation in Christ. But rather, particularly... Even as we heard a bit of Psalm 27, this is our dream that we would take hold of David's desires. As he says, you know what, there's, there's one thing I seek, that I'm going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This is our dream that it would be Jesus that we seek above all else. And just as, as David said, like, I'm, I'm confident that I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. The beauty is that where David stood, he... He said those bold claims with hope, looking forward to a Messiah that they had faith would come in the future. But the good news is we get to look back at Jesus and say that is done. So our confidence is altogether different. And kind of continuing a theme we've been talking about isn't like mustering up this holiness within us. It isn't trying really hard and like making your face red so that we might emulate some of Jesus. Rather, it is Jesus has won for us all these riches, all these blessings. There is a status in which is already ours that we get to rise up into. Does that make sense? When, when I sit at my desk and work, I've got this um, Bible passage from 2 Timothy, kind of precariously balanced on my window. So it's when Paul wrote to his protege Timothy and he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He said, for God did not give you a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but he gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's the sort of verse you get tattooed on, you, on your shirt. We want to, to cultivate this power, this love, this self-discipline, which that's what our spirit is. Even we sang about it today. If you look at our church vision, it's all like revival. People think we're silly because we talk too much about it. Awakening, revival, renewal, God's kingdom coming on earth. Like Mike Pilavachi, he was attributed for saying this, he says, don't pray for revival. <gasps> I was expecting like more gasps of shock. <laughs> Heresy. Mike Pivacci said, don't pray for revival. He said, love the Lord 
and the Lord will look after the revival you're after. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. A few weeks ago in, in training center, James told this story. So the story goes that in the 12th century, Thomas Aquinas was invited to the Vatican by the Pope. And so the Pope was showing him around. If you ever been to the Vatican, that place is big and grand and fancy, and I didn't even go inside. So he's showing him around, and uh, kind of hearkening back to Acts chapter 3, he said, oh, no longer will the church say to the world, silver and gold, we have none. But Thomas Aquinas is said to have responded to that and said, yeah, but no longer will the church be able to say to the world, rise up and walk. Because we want the church to possess power and love. So actually, when we read the vision that we have for God's kingdom to come amongst us, we watch that 2033 video, we want us to possess this power and love which reveals God's kingdom amongst us. Does that sound right? I've got all of you, like, on board, and in a minute, I'm going to break you. I was catching up with, um, with Charlie's talk from a few weeks ago about generosity, and he, he had this great acronym for the word lack. Does anyone remember it? Got to shout louder. Losing the ability to contribute to the kingdom. Does anyone get that? It's a great, like, learning skill using acronyms. But as we read, particularly Luke 14, it begs the question of actually, like, what gets in our way? The way Jesus framed it in the parable, he says, like, what, what gets in our way of attending this banquet? What gets in the way of, of tasting and enjoying and celebrating all that God has for us? And there he uses some pretty ridiculous excuses. But like, please don't, again, please don't hear this is about condemnation. I think a lot of us actually, what gets in the way are very legitimate reasons. But what gets in the way of attending the banquet? Maybe it's our busyness, just the rigors of life. I've only got one child and I feel like that's busy enough. Hats off, you got four. Maybe it's money, maybe it's complacency, if we're being really honest, like looking at ourselves in the mirror, maybe it's self-centeredness or comfort or control or, or apathy. So for that reason, really, the focus of this morning is going to be talking about fasting. Talking about fasting. So we spoke a few weeks ago and we asked you for all your money and now we're asking you for your food as well. But, but fasting is, it is a discipline, it is a practice, but ultimately it's a practice that leads to our relationship. It's a practice about connecting with God more. The biblical narrative is primarily a story of redemption. It's about humanity returning to what God has said to be our rightful place. And so fasting is one of many ways in which we return. Fasting is a way of remembering. We remember who we are. We remember who God is. And we remember all that he's done. 
put it quite simply, fasting is sacrificing something good in exchange for something better. So I hope, my aim, my goal is to, to inspire us to embrace fasting because I believe that fasting is what leads to the good stuff. Not exclusively, but is a way. It's a way in which we may behold Jesus, as we've been talking about recently, Jesus, our bridegroom. Even for us men. That we may behold Jesus even more clearly, that we may step even deeper into that intimate relationship we promised. Does that sound all right? Oh, but fasting, it sounds all too religious. Fasting sounds all too religious. I read this quote, it said, at first it may seem that fasting and other disciplines destroy freedom, but in fact they are in the service of true freedom. It's that distinction. Is it freedom from all restraints, or is it rather freedom towards something better? By way of an illustration, I, I would say I endeavor, often not successfully, I endeavor to love my wife. And um, one way I express that is through not forgetting things or trying not to forget things. So I try and use my calendar as much as possible. Like, if it's not in my Google calendars, like, I'm not doing it because I'll forget. <clears throat> but using a calendar that isn't cheating, that doesn't diminish from the genuineness of my love, but rather it enables me and it helps me to love her better. Does that make sense? Fasting isn't cheating. It just helps us to, to position, our, position ourselves to love God better. Or is it, oh, like we have to fast so that God will love us. God will love us if we change. No. God loves us so that we can change. At Midweek Communion on, on Thursday... Colin Frampton, he's a retired minister amongst us, often serving at Washington like he is today. But he was preaching, and he's preaching from Matthew 11, that famous passage in which Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. But he just dwelt on that first, those first three words. He said, come to me. That's almost the gospel in itself in three words, come to me. Not when you've sorted yourself out, but just come to me. Because we don't need to earn our forgiveness. Rather, Jesus has earned. He has won. He has achieved it. And so really in the whole, in this topic of fasting, fasting isn't a means of achievement, but rather fasting is a gift. That'll take some like rewiring. What if fasting is actually a gift? It's not a burden. It's a gift. Because fasting, it kills our fleshly appetite. And so when we read things like Psalm 27 and we hold up David as this like, archetype of spectacular worship and devotion to God, actually fasting is a, is a means by which our heart can attain that posture as well, which actually at the core of us, we can say, you know what, one thing I do seek above all else is Jesus. Similarly, I think fasting is a means by which it 
Again, it kills our fleshly appetites and it gives us an appetite for, for heavenly things. Something that's a line that I'm continuing to work out, as it were. But in John chapter 4, Jesus has just ministered to the Samaritan woman in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, and afterwards his disciples come to him and they're like, oh, Rabbi, you must eat something, you must drink something. And his response is still, I don't think I've grasped the magnitude of it, but he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's not dependent on physical food, but actually, you know, even doing the will of God, that is nourishment to me. But you go forward a couple chapters in John chapter 6, and you find he's just fed the 5,000, and I would read it as Jesus gets a bit miffed because they're following him seemingly just after more bread and fish. And so John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, no, I am the bread of life. It's not all this earthly bread and fish, but rather I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Fasting kills our fleshly appetites and gives us a renewed appetite for God. You also can't skip over the fact that actually there is a personal reward to fasting. It's like we're not allowed to be selfish or self-centered, but there is a personal reward. So amidst the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, now when you fast... You can also read a lot into that by saying, he didn't say if you fast, he said when. Fasting was almost this, like I said, it's a gift. It was a practice, a habit, a discipline which was expected. It wasn't required, but it was expected. And he said, when you fast, put oil on your head. Don't let people know that you're fasting. Put oil on your head because it's not about outward appearance, it's not about earning kudos or people seeing how pious you are, but it's about the purity of your heart. He'd already said in the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's the ultimate reward. He said, when you put, when you put oil on your head, you cannot escape the parallel and the symbolism which oil constantly represents within Scripture of being the anointing of God. We talked about it a few weeks ago about the five foolish um, brides. Or the five, ten virgins, five of them were foolish because they didn't bring enough oil. He's saying this is the presence of God that we get to store up. And in this passage, so Matthew 6, 16 to 18, it says, And then your father, seeing what's been done in secret, he will reward you. He will reward you. Because there's a blessing and a power that is achieved in secret, which God rewards us. And it sustains us and blesses us. So there is a personal reward, but there's also corporate power that is achieved through it. Again, maybe a bit of a controversial passage, but Mark chapter 9, you get Jesus. He's just been up the Mount of Transfiguration, hung out with Moses and Elijah, comes back down to a ruckus because his disciples haven't been able to heal the demon-possessed boy. 
the son, the father's somewhat complaining about it. And even Jesus' response, he's like, gosh, how long must I put up with you, you unbelieving? Kind of if you read both Mark chapter 9 and also Matthew 17, he pieces them together. He's like, you unbelieving, or you faithless and corrupt generation. He presents there's this like dissonance between our outward way of living, or like endeavor to be living, but still the inward posture of our hearts, and they're con- contrasted. I'm always a bit hesitant to suddenly go into like Greek, because I didn't study Greek, but some things are like relatively plain. So it describes it as you, you twisted generation. As um, my friend Jack always reminds me, the Greek word for faith is a word called pistos. But the word you get here is apistos. It's altogether twisted, corrupted. It is like opposite. It's warped. Because there's some sort of spiritual disease that has seeped in which needs healing. And just like Sunday school would have taught you, Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is the cure. So rooting it again in Mark chapter 9, at the end of it, Jesus says, actually, this, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. I'm probably in the school of thought, which is sides with, we're talking about discipleship rather than healing in that statement. But fasting, it, it postures us in a position in which we can receive more of heaven. It produces in us this storing up of, of God's presence. So actually amongst his people, there is a power at work in them. That's why even the Pope and Thomas Aquinas referencing Acts chapter 3, that's why we can say, like, maybe silver and gold, we have none, but what we do have, we give to you freely. What we do have is Jesus. What we do have is his spirit at work amongst us. So if we're kind of rooted in, you know what, we are pursuing 2033, we're pursuing God's kingdom to come amongst us just as it is in heaven. It isn't going to come by, by our strength and our might, but it's only going to come by God's presence affecting it. It's only going to come by God's power working through us. And it needs to get into us somehow. Fasting is just one of many avenues in which we get to cultivate that. Fasting says, you are more important than life itself, that I am willing to, to voluntarily abstain from food, like in many ways the source of all my energy and sustenance, and seek after you more. Fasting says, what I'm giving up isn't as important as what I'm gaining in you. You sacrifice something good to get something altogether better. Also recognize in a lot of what I'm saying, like please don't allow this to slip into some form of like Gnosticism or where actually everything is spiritual and everything that isn't spiritual is worthless. Rather, Jesus doesn't allow us to separate our our mind from our body and from our spirit. Actually, together, that's what makes us who we are. Together, that's our being. Particularly in the context of fasting, I love this account. At the beginning of the book of Daniel, you find Daniel feels 
led, called, um, while he's in captivity in Babylon. He says, you know what, I'm actually resolving that I'm not going to enjoy any of your Babylonian food, treats, delicacies, and I'm just going to sustain myself on water and vegetables. And then what you find is that amongst everyone, he's the one that is the most physically healthy. He's the one that is filled with all of the wisdom of God. He's the one, even his like, cognitive abilities are increased. So it's actually through, through fasting that mind, body, spirit, all of them together are better. I heard someone talk about fasting and they said, we must remember that we are embodied spirits and we are in fleshed spirits. Embodied spirits, inspirited bodies. There you go. He said, actually, what's good for my spirit is good for me. And what's good for my body is good for me. So there isn't a case of like, you know what, nothing else matters, just spiritual, but it all serves the same purpose. So you can't avoid the reality of the sacrificial nature of fasting. It does demand something of you. It does like demand you laying aside, denying yourself. But sacrifice, self-denial, these are our core tenets right at the, at the middle of what it means to follow Jesus. But ultimately, it's through these that they lead to true life. This is where the good stuff is. Does that sound all right? But we wanted to get to a point where this isn't just a series of ideas. This isn't just a biblical exposition on the concept of fasting, but actually, you know what, as a church, we are going to do this together. And I recognize for many, this may well be like teaching you to suck eggs, so excuse me. So Lent, it starts in a couple weeks on March the 2nd until Easter's, or April the 17th, something like that. So for 40 days, we are going to embark together as a church on 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I know maybe for some of you, there's like something in the back of your head. There's also plenty of like really legitimate good reasons why actual fasting and abstaining from food probably isn't a good idea. It's like maybe if you have a medical condition, maybe if food has actually been like a real um, barrier, obstacle for you, maybe there's like other fasting alternatives as it were. But primarily, the model we get in the Bible of fasting is abstaining, that voluntary denying yourself of food. And you get all these different models of it between like Moses, David, Elisha, Israel, Daniel. They all seemingly do it a little bit different. So maybe it's abstaining from all food. Maybe it's abstaining just from solid foods, and you're just going to drink water or drink juice. I know a friend of mine, he often does that. Maybe you want to abstain just from one or two meals a day. So I'm just going to skip breakfast or breakfast and lunch. One alternative way of fasting I heard, which is definitely outside the box, someone said, he was a single guy, I'm going to abstain and fast from eating by myself. So I'm only going to eat if I'm with other people. Apparently he became the most sociable guy in the church. It's just that practice. 
in which these habits, which aren't really pushing me closer to God, maybe there's particular foods that you want to, to give up, abstain from. Like I said, Daniel just stuck to vegetables and water. I know the, the popular thing recently, the last couple of years, has been to, to go vegan during January, give up all meat, which actually isn't an entirely like a new idea. I think the church has been doing that on Fridays for like centuries. Maybe you want to give up alcohol. I said to the 9 a.m. service, it pains me to admit this publicly, but um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and it turns out God's been convicting us both in the same way, which actually, maybe you're called to give up coffee for Lent. <laughs> I feel some other people like feel a bit outraged at that too. That is a step too far. But again, fasting, although it is primarily concerning food and our physical appetites being realigned, maybe it, there are other behaviors, attitudes, activities that we need to abstain from. Maybe it's like, you know what? I'm going to make a concerted effort to give up gossiping for 40 days. And hopefully then it will stick forever. <laughs> Maybe it's complaining. Who knows what? Maybe it's giving up TV or social media or watching football. I'm not a big football fan, so that doesn't really... <laughs> or um, I was talking to someone recently. They were talking about decluttering their wardrobe, and they were saying how much of an issue it was, how cluttered it was. And um, I was reminded there was this practice of doing... I think it's called like 30 for 30. My sister-in-law tried to get the whole family to do it once. We just have 30 items of clothing that you only wear for 30 days. Maybe there's things like that, which is going to be a challenge, which actually intentionally forces you to realign your gaze on Jesus. Talking about my own experience, I, um, I say I managed to convince, I managed to subject my, my wife and... Um, couple of people who were living with us at the time, to a month of simplicity during lockdown, in which I said, you know what, for a month, why don't we give up the TV, we'll only like, use the TV for playing worship, maybe watching The Chosen, because that's like the holiest thing on TV, and we would only have the same three meals every day. So essentially, we fasted choice. In, 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 in the midst of a society which is so consumer-driven, like, I can have whatever I want, whenever I want it, because I'm going to order it on my iPhone. That was quite radical. So we said, you know what, we're only going to eat porridge for breakfast, soup for lunch, and rice and ratatouille for dinner. I love ratatouille, and my <laughs> wife has not allowed it ever since. But all the jokes aside, all the controversies, drama around it, what happened was it nurtured in us this appetite for holiness, in which actually God was at the forefront of when we ate. You know what, even though we're eating rice and vegetables for the umpteenth time, I'm thanking God because he is better. It nurtured a holiness in it with actually, when we started trying to watch TV again, we just couldn't tolerate it anymore because it was just too crude and too contrasted to actually the vision of the kingdom that we get in Jesus. But I want to say fasting, so much of it is the big focus on like, is giving things up. But actually the big question is saying, actually when we consider fasting, what are we going to replace it with? 
because you just can't remove things and have a vacuum. Something is always going to fill that vacuum. So actually, what are we going to do instead? So as I said, we're going to pursue Lent, 40 days of prayer and fasting as a church together. And there's a whole team of people which have put together this spectacular program. I could be here for another hour kind of talking through all the different bits with various elements of corporate gatherings of prayer and worship where through Lent in the lead up to Easter, we've removed things from our life and actually now we're replacing it. Again, I'm like 99.9% sure that it will go out in a very clear manner on the internet, on the website, in an email. But just trust me that throughout Lent, there are plenty of opportunities to gather together and form some very nourishing habits. All these rhythms that we get into, they're all to develop this godly character to develop this holiness, to, to store up more of his presence in our lives, which all contributes and works towards 2033 happening amongst us. Fasting is making space for God. It's eradicating all these excuses and obstacles. It's saying, actually, God, you are more important than all these other things which I fill my life with. And it's there that we get to attend this great banquet that God has planned for us, that he has laid out for us, that he has gone to great lengths to make us able to participate in it. So we get to enjoy and experience more of God's redemption. So we get to return to our rightful place. God's given us the spirit of, of power, love, and also self-discipline. Why don't, why don't we stand? We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to... We're also just confident and expectant that we will see God's goodness in the land of the living. So often we talk in these like Christianese metaphors, but ultimately it is that we want to, Jesus is the king of all kings. And we want to orientate our lives so that he is enthroned above all else, that he is the most important thing, because he's the only one able to bring true life to us. was there was that passage in Isaiah 1 kind of as we were preparing for this morning which really stood out it even says let us settle this that your skins grow like scarlet I've made you white as snow fasting isn't going to be the means by which we attain this righteousness this unity with God he has already done all that we just get to rise up into 
that status. So let's just take a moment. You can say receive his grace afresh this morning. You would say receive his blood, let it wash over you. The truth of all that Jesus has achieved through living, dying on a cross, and rising again. God, you are so generous to us. You have such a rich, abundant, true life on offer to us. May the scales of our eyes continue to fall fall off as we gaze upon you afresh this morning as your truth is revealed amongst us. As biased and sexist as this sounds, we um, were praying this morning, one of the team, she particularly sensed God that there's a particular anointing, favor from God on men this morning. That they would receive from God all the grace they need. Grace being the, the power to be rather than just the act of wiping it clean. The men may receive this grace, this power, to be who God has called them to be. So if you're a man, it's an opportunity to receive maybe the rest of you, a.k.a. women. We're going to bless these guys around us. It's Mothering Sunday in a month. You'll get your return. Father, we thank you that you are present amongst us. May your presence be invading into the lives of these men. May they be renewed. May they be strengthened. May you give them fresh clarity for their walk, God. goodness continue to be revealed to them. All your plans, all your ways lead them into your open spaces of freedom. like precious metals, like gold. Would your fire, God, purify these men amongst us? 
burn away all the chaff. Father, we thank you for all the truths that we get to gather around of how good you are, how true you are. You are above all things. You are worthy of all our praise. Also, you're the source of all life. As we worship you now, we continue to worship you. You continue to reveal to us who you are. Reveal to us all you're doing. Continue to heal us. Set us free.